But uh, I hope you guys have been blessed by everything that Patty's been talking about. Very thankful for her. Yeah, yeah, amen. 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 So, Patty, if you want to go ahead and start introducing, talking again, we'll get everybody out in the foyer um, back inside. Well, I won't sing because if I do, they'll run outside instead of coming back. I sound like the Aflac duck after the car accident <laughs> when I sing. But you know what? I belt it out because I can't help but sing. Man, we are alive. Those who are dead are now alive. Our God is a God of resurrection so that we can live that abundant life alive now. Amen. I mean, seriously, who gets to live like us? I mean, we see God as we're walking in the spirit of the living king. We get to see God do miracles day after day after day after day. And I believe we're living in the times where, like it says in Joel, your young men will... Uh, have visions and your women will have dreams or something to that effect. And um, listen, the Lord is is raising up an army. So as, as much as we see the LGBT culture and so many people, especially young people, starting to identify as part of the LGBT community, there are masses, there are hordes Hordes of people coming out of that and walking in a new identity in Christ. And I'm talking about young people, young people who can reach the young people. Amen. Amen. I was just sharing with Pastor David a, a video that I watched because I, um, I'm on social media so that I can see what's going on and what's happening. So I... I um, like or subscribe or whatever you call it to people from the LGBT community, but I also, I know what they're thinking and feeling and experiencing and watching and doing and what they think of the church. And it's like, oh, that's what they think by the, about the church, huh? I kind of see it. Or wow, that's way off. That's not how the church is. But I also subscribe to a lot of people that have come out of the life just like me. And you know what's happening? You, you, have you guys heard about God um, coming uh, to people in the Middle, of, uh, Middle East um, in their dreams? He's doing that with LGBT people as well, coming to them in their dreams. There's this one young man called Jeffrey McCall who said yes. Yes, yes, right? And he identified as, as gay and, and transgender, and God just met him and started speaking to him. And one day he took all his wigs and makeup and clothes and threw them in the dumpster and said, okay, God, now what? Now he has a, a, a ministry that it's, um, he, he, it's uh, for, uh, such were some of you, I think it's called. Look up Jeffrey McCall on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff. But he started something called the Freedom March. And it's all, all the people that have come out of the LGBT community are now walking through cities to declare their true freedom. And they share whatever platform they have in whatever city it is. They share worship. 
and they share their testimonies, and they, they give an invite of anyone that wants to surrender their, their life to the Lord. Sometimes they baptize people right there on the spot, and then they walk through the city with their little Freedom March flag, and it was very small in the beginning. Now there's hundreds of people that are going to this Freedom March, and actually, Jeffrey comes under a lot of scrutiny and a lot of spiritual attack. So pray for the people that God is bringing out and giving marching orders to, to go out and do ministries like this, because listen, the enemy does not like this. I mean, I could tell you, we could spend a whole hour in me just telling you how the enemy tries to stop me from going out and doing this. And, and that happens to him. And he gets a lot of, lot of uh, uh, scrutiny from former LGBT friends and, and even people within the church, you know, they make fun of some of the clothes he wears because they, they don't think it's masculine enough or whatever. And I've been made fun of for that. Like I've, I've gone places and spoke and then people reach out and say, great testimony, but why do you still look like a man? It's like, okay. You know, and it's just like, I don't respond because I, I, I allow the Lord to minister to me in my heart because it hurts. And then I'm like, okay, Lord. And then I remember that's the very reason God has sent me to the church because it's the church that's responding, not all of them, but it's those that have responded that way are people from within the church. And it's like, okay, that's right. Because God is sending people like Jeffrey. He'll go to like the, the parts of whatever city it is, the, the generally like the gay neighborhoods. And he wrote a a book, I can't remember what it's called, but he'll just bring his book and meet people as they're coming out of the bar and be like, hey, how are you? Hey, can I just give you my book? Is there any prayer you need today? So, and like this one lady that I shared the video with Pastor David, um, she reaches out to the LGBT community. She, she identified as gay and transgender. She was a trans man, full mustache and beard, took testosterone shots, and God met her in a miraculous way as well. And she laid all of that down and is serving the Lord in ministry now through TikTok and YouTube because she knows how to use those platforms. And, and so all that to say, God is raising up an army in these last days because he's gonna save, he's gonna save big before he's coming. And we know he's coming, right? It's not just what's happening in the Middle East. It's not just the famines and the wars and the rumors of wars. It's what we see in the word of God when it talks about how the people are going to be boisterous and lovers of themselves and children will not listen to their parents. You know who rules the roost in many homes now? The kids. The kids. That is so unhealthy for everyone. But it's good. I get it. It's difficult for parents because kids now, when they don't get their way, their, their weapon to get their way with their parents is talk of suicide. When we were young, we would say, when we'd get mad or whatever, I'm just going to run away. And what would our parents say? Oh, can I pack your bag? You want a sandwich? Right? No. And we'd run away and get up to the next block and think, what kind of sandwich? You know? But now kids are telling their parents, if you don't call me by my preferred pronouns, I'm going to kill myself. Woody, how do you respond to that? Here's some pills? No. Much of it is manipulation to get their way, but there's also a lot of it that these kids are really 
really attempting suicide. And so what parent's going to take the chance? What parent's going to know if they're manipulating them or if this is something that they're really going to go through with? What you're going to see when you watch Childhood 2.0 is this guy talking about this, this family that he was ministering to um, that... I think the little girl, I think it was a little girl, was 10 years old, and someone that she was talking to on whatever social media venue it was, they started joking with each other about suicide. And the one little girl's like, we should try it. You go first. And she actually did it. This little 10-year-old girl committed suicide. There's places on YouTube that you can go and find out what's, what's the best way to commit suicide? What's the least grossest way? What's the way that you feel the least pain? What's the way that you feel the most pain? They can find all of this on the internet and the kids know how to get there. You type in one word and all this other stuff comes up. I remember when I was working, helping serve at the church at, at, in New Jersey and my friend that, that worked in the offices one year, she wanted to print up some candy canes. So she typed in candy cane. What comes up? some prostitute named Candy Cane. And now she's trying to click off of it, and just the more you try to get out of it, the more images and things were coming up. So imagine if our kids just typed in, our innocent children type in at 10 years old, Candy Cane. And then bam, all this stuff comes up, and now they, they are like drawn into that, or they try to click and they see different images, and then they become, because Satan will use that to devour the child, and now they're trying to get out of this, but now they're enamored by it and they like it. And now they feel, feel, feel full of shame and they don't tell anyone about it. And they feel so horrible that they become depressed and anxious and they don't know what to do with that because they're so young. And then they click on a site that tells them, well, here's a way out. We really need to pray, you guys, on behalf of our children, fast and pray. So while at the same time these devastating things are happening, the Lord is also raising up an army. So everything we do, we pray for, and then we have to remember, but God. This is happening, but God. We really can make a big impact through our prayers and through our attitudes toward folks that uh, sin in a different way we do, basically. So we're going to have a time. I'm just going to share a little bit. Some of it might seem a little repetitive, but the part that's repetitive is grace and truth, so I think we can hear it again. Um, and then I'm going to share some ways that it's just, just uh, uh, what the Lord has shown me is, is a pretty, pretty good way to share, understand, and share with the LGBT community. And then we're going to have a time of Q&A. So if you have any questions, keep them in your mind, write them down or whatever it might be, and then uh, uh, Pastor David or someone else will go around with the microphone. We'll have a little break, go around with the microphone and, and have a time of Q&A. And so, but when we get there, um, it makes it a lot easier if when you ask your question, if you just get to the nitty gritty. Because um, if you take a whole paragraph to explain what you're trying to say, it takes time away from us being able to have more questions, so, um, but that's my favorite part because the Lord really, really ministers to us, I believe, during the time of Q&A. So, 
Lord, we thank you for this time of gathering us back together. Um, thank you for Chick-fil-A and that their chicken is so good. And thank you that they're a godly organization that uh, represents and glorifies you. And we pray for all the LGBT community that can't stand Chick-fil-A, that they would... Um, that they would just get saved and enjoy your juice, their juicy chicken as well. So we thank you for that time. We thank you for the break. Please uh, bring us back now uh, to your throne room, to this place of truth, Lord God. And we pray that you would minister to us during our time now and that you and you alone would receive all the glory. Because God, I, I pray, my personal prayer is, that when everyone leaves here, no one would remember my name. My name doesn't matter, God. Yours does. So may we leave here talking about you and you alone. And may we be encouraged in that. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was sharing how my perception, understandable perception of things that I saw and experienced when I was younger led to deception, and that deception led to an identity. But I didn't understand it at the time, I just thought it was my identity, but God has been showing me ever since um, who the truth is, which is him, and how to continue to walk in that truth, because it's not easy to walk. It's not easy to be a Christian. So if we thought when we got saved that everything was going to be peachy, it's not. And we need to remember that when people are gathered, if we're one-on-one -on -one ministering to someone and said, well, you know, would you like to come into a relationship with Jesus? We need to remind them that they're repenting of their sin and if they, under, they need to understand that their life has to do a complete 180 when they receive Jesus, because that person who they are before they receive Jesus is going to die, and they will have new life in him. So that doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it means it's worth it. Because the Lord tells us in 1 Peter that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through Jesus Christ from the resurrection of the dead to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and it doesn't fade away. And it's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith, ready for salvation to receive in the last days. Then it says, if need be. In this you greatly rejoice, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, even though it's tested by fire, in that it may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Even though we don't see him, we believe him, and with that we have a joy that's inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. This is the only time we walk in faith. We don't walk in faith when we're in heaven. We walk in glory when we're there with no corruption and no defilement. And while we're here, our faith is being tested so that we can come forth as gold. And you know what makes us a beautiful bride? Trials and tribulations. That's what makes us beautiful. And I believe 
we are going to be experiencing trials and tribulations in different ways than the generations before us. But God has called us for such a time as this. Do you want to be his ambassadors? Do you want to be the fragrance of Christ? Do you want to be the letter written on our hearts as well as written in the book? Me too, me too. So thank God there's no more deception that I was walking in and I was experiencing the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. And the, Jesus in the word of God is the only place we will find that truth. Psalm 119 says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Culture's gonna change. Ideologies are gonna change. If the Lord tarries and we're here in another 30 years, what the young people are experiencing now is going to be completely different 30 years from now. The word of God never changes. That's where we need to find our strength, the truth in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says in John 17, 17, when he's, Jesus is praying to God the Father about us, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And God's word is clear, but the enemies of our enemy of our souls is continue continuing to hit us hard with deception just like he did in the garden. And now he's trying to tell us, especially our young people that the words in the Bible aren't really what they mean. This is what they mean. That side A, side B gay Christian flyer that I have out there. Side A, they're like, well, you don't really need God's word. All you need is love. So while it's true, love never fails, they're distorting it, holding the love above the truth of God's word. So we need to bring truth to people experientially by letting who we are point to who he is, but not by not wavering in what the word of God says. We have to bring people to truth because they won't get it anywhere else. And youth now, more than ever, really want the truth. The whole world seems to be lying to them and they know it. They know they're the ones that when they see pictures of their friends, do you know there's um, applications or whatever you call it on different things that when, when a girl takes a selfie or, or someone takes a picture of her, there's, there's little things that you can click on that erases her waist so she looks skinnier. People are taking videos with, do you guys know what a green screen is? With a green screen behind them so it looks like they're in the woods but they're in their basement with their other troll friends. They know a lot of stuff that they see online isn't true, but they watch it anyways, because what else are they going to do? But how horrible it is when you know that what you're seeing isn't the truth, but, but you're watching it anyways. Imagine that confusion. We didn't experience that as, as kids, but our kids are. So we have to bring them back to the solid truth, even when they're rolling their eyes at us. Tell them they'll stick in that position if they keep rolling their eyes. <laughs> and when we bring them this truth, we have to bring it with both grace and compassion, especially since they're hearing anything but the truth concerning sexuality. And the Lord is very specific with his intentions for sex and sexuality. Let me just say this. Sex is amazing. 
Sex is amazing within his intentions. Otherwise, it's hurtful and damaging regardless of how physically and emotionally good it feels. And that's not always an easy truth to convey to someone who doesn't know the Lord or agree with his good intentions concerning sex. So what do we do with that? How do we convey truth to people that are far from the Lord because they cannot reconcile their very real sexual feelings to what the Lord says about sexuality? Well, Paul tells us, guess what? <laughs> the answers are in the word. Yay. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Redeeming the time or making most of every opportunity you get. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Ask God for wisdom. One of my favorite proverbs is Proverbs chapter 2. Let me just, because I don't want to get it wrong. And, and the biggest word in Proverbs chapter 2 is two letters. You guys know what it is? If. All right, Proverbs chapter 2. I pray this a lot. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and if you lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and if you search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So if we cry out to God and ask him for wisdom in these days and these circumstances that we're living in, he will give us that wisdom. When I'm talking to somebody or, or, or whatever it might be, like say, just so you know, I'm going to be hanging out at my table afterwards. I didn't talk much during lunch because I just wanted to save my voice, but I'll stay here till midnight if you guys want to talk, but I just want to let you know as you're talking to me, I'm praying and I'm asking God to give me wisdom and every spiritual gift needed as I'm talking to you. And when the next person comes to talk, Lord, will you give me wisdom and every spiritual gift needed to talk to this person? Because it's going to be a different situation. I have nothing, you have nothing to offer except what has God has given us in himself. And we need his gifts because 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, it's right smack in the middle of God telling us what the spiritual gifts are. We need wisdom, we need discernment, we need a word of knowledge, we need healing, whatever it might be. So cry out and ask God for those gifts as, as you're talking to someone. It's not just, really, this is, there's a lot of LGBT stuff in here, but this can really apply to anybody. How to share truth with people who are far from it. Walk in wisdom and ask God to give you his spiritual gifts. They're, they're for us. They're for us within the body of Christ so that we can function as one body and one beautiful bride to serve him because we are called to serve him. And we do that by serving others. When we give them a cold cup of water, it's giving him a cold cup of water. So ask God for wisdom. 2 Timothy chapter 2 Verses 24 through 26 reminds us 
A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all straight people. Mm -mm. (laughs) A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Ready for this? If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So in those two verses, um, Colossians 4, 5 and 6, and 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, we see both grace and truth. And again, Warren Wiersbe says, truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. So my prayer for us as the body of Christ is that we face these intense personal and cultural issues with both grace and truth. And anyone I've heard speaking on this subject from other ministries like mine, the ones that I actually trust, because there's some that are just like, wait, you're believing that now? Um, Oftentimes, they too will talk about grace and truth. So I'm pretty sure it's a message God wants us as the church to understand um, because a lot of uh, ministry, um, for years, ministry has been uh, without grace um, and some ministries now are without truth, which is brutal. Because also in 1 Corinthians it says, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. So because the church came with truth bombs only, dropping these bombs with zero grace, people were getting blown into pieces by these truth bombs and then left alone, bleeding and injured by the word of God. The word of God slices and dices, right? It says that in Hebrews chapter 4. I think it's verse 12. For the word of God is powerful, living, the word of God is living and active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing through the joints and the marrow and the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we know the word does that to us, but we are filled with the Holy Spirit and when we're in God's word and it slices and dices us, we know that it brings us conviction and it grows us. But for someone who doesn't know God in the word of God, if we just tell them truth only without grace, it might slice them and dice them in a way that pushes them away from God instead of toward him, even though God's word is powerful. Pastor David Whiting says this about grace and truth. If we are full of truth but lack grace, truth gets distorted and grace gets lost. But if we're full of grace and not full of truth, then grace gets distorted and the truth gets lost. So again, John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And if Jesus was filled with grace and truth, we can be too because we are filled with the spirit of the living God and Jesus says that we will do the same mighty works he did as he ascended back into heaven. So we need to understand where people with same-sex attraction or a gay identity are coming from and what they're actually dealing with personally 
beyond their sexuality because there's a lot more to a person than their sexual identity. So where do we start? How do we minister to people that identify as gay or trans? We talk about it. We just talk about it. We talk about sex and sexuality. We don't run from it. We don't hide from it. We can't. It's at our front door. It's in our kid's bedroom. And with all this push or agenda or indoctrination from the LGBT community, listen, God is using it for good because now the churches are finally talking about it. Praise the Lord. He uses everything. Do you guys see how much we can trust God in all things? And I'm so thankful for that because now as the church is being equipped, that means more people from the LGBT community are going to hear from us with both, with both grace and truth, and they will hear the gospel in a way that's inviting. We all know that the church has a history of fear and anger, and for some, even hatred toward the LGBT community. We need to admit and apologize and ask the Lord to give us his heart for the gay community and for those within our churches that have unwanted same-sex attraction. So do you see how God every, works everything out for good? Gay agenda, a church better equipped. Praise the Lord. He's so good. So there's a lot I want to cover before the Q&A, and um, I just want to touch on a few different things and hope that that stirs you enough to feel better equipped so I want to just talk a little bit about what it's like to be gay, what's a common root issue of homosexuality, how do we minister to that, and what are some things to say and not to say, and it's pretty simple stuff. What you're not going to hear is an ABC to-do list that will make somebody from the gay community all of a sudden repent and believe. <laughs> But what you are going to hear is that people are people and we love and minister to them all the same. But in that, there are some specifics, right? You might minister to someone from a communist country differently than you administer someone to a democratic uh, country, but the gospel is still the gospel, right? So um, if God had called you as a missionary to go to China in a very specific place in China, and you knew you were going to be there for a while, wouldn't you want to learn the, the language of that people as well as the culture of that people? Well, so the LGBT community is, is a people group. So let's learn them. Let's learn their language and learn how to love them where they are. So a lot of times when I, when I do uh, sessions like, like this, um, if the pastor decides to title the message, um, oftentimes I'll, I'll see the pastor titling it, Ministering to Those Who Struggle with Same-Sex Attraction. But I want to let you know, and we didn't do that here, but I've, I've had that at other places. Um, not everyone that has same-sex attraction struggles with it. <laughs> it's not a struggle. I didn't struggle with my same-sex attraction before I got saved. I embraced it. It was a part of who I was. It wasn't something that I was trying to get rid of. And most people that identify as gay feel the same way. And 
what's it like? What's it like to be gay? And just this is very specific, just scratching the surface. Um, but often those who identify as gay and, and their, their feelings and their desires are their identity. It's all they've ever known or all they remember ever having. So it's a part of who they are, like their, their eye color or their skin color. Their identity is normal to them because it's all they've ever known as a person, as in their thoughts, but it's all, they, all they've ever known or felt as a physical or sexual desire. So they don't feel different than other people because their desires are toward their sa the same sex. It's their identity, who they are, not their struggle. So when they hear Christians say people who struggle with homosexuality, it's often very offensive to them, especially if they've been in a relationship for 10 years. It's like, so this looks like I'm struggling with my sexuality? Mm-mm. They don't struggle with it. It's who they believe themselves to be, their personhood. So listen, you ready for this? This is why we should never, ever, ever say love the sinner but hate the sin. To them, there's no separation of the two. They are what we call their sin. They, who they are or their personhood, their identity is what we call their sin. So what they hear in that statement is something like, you hate what you call my sin, which is who I am, so you must hate me too. So please take that out of your vocabulary, please. It's very offensive and extremely impersonal. People are more than a quick quip. So while we know that that homosexual behavior is sinful, they don't see it as such. So saying something like this isn't all of a sudden gonna make them believe it's wrong and repent. It's going to make them think that we hate them. It builds walls. It doesn't open doors. And we want to build love. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, right? First Corinthians chapter 8 says. Yet there are some who actually do struggle, in a sense, with same-sex attraction, and they themselves call it a struggle, struggle. And those are the people that are sitting next to us in church week after week that we have no idea that they struggle because they're afraid to tell anyone. And let me tell you why they might be afraid. And it's one word, and it's a big word, rejection. Rejection. And there are common root issues for those who have same-sex attraction, whether it leads to an identity or not. And I think it's important for us to know what they are so we can better minister to that particular part of a person's brokenness or pain, whether it's acknowledged brokenness or acknowledged pain or not. But I want to talk about this, this one root issue uh, today. And it is that, that feeling or sense of rejection, whether the rejection is real or perceived. And I, I'm saved 19 years, and I still deal with rejection issues. It's the very place Satan knows to attack me. Someone can simply make lunch plans with me or something and then break them, and it's like, oh, I don't matter. I don't matter. Especially... When you're still single, 
And everyone's like, oh, you're part of our family. You're part of our family. We love you. You're really part of our family. We love having you over. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm going to have to cancel those plans I had with you to go see that movie or whatever because we're having family dinner night tonight. But I'll catch up with you next week. It's like, wait. You said I'm part of your family, but now you can't get together because it's family night. It's rejection. It's rejection. And I know the people that have said something like that to me didn't understand what they were doing, but if you've ever experienced rejection, you know what I'm talking about. So if you're ministering to someone from your church with same-sex attraction or you have a friend who identifies as gay, please do everything you can to keep your plans with them. They need to know that they can trust you and count on you to be there. Because most likely someone from the church has let them down in the past. So I want to ask, are you trustworthy with your time and your commitments? One of the best ways to minister to people is to be available. That's it. Being available is more important than knowing what to say. Especially for someone with rejection issues, which is pretty much anyone from the LGBT community. Being available is more important than knowing what to say. Then once you're with them, once you're actually there and available, then God will give you the words to say because what are you going to do? You're going to pray, Lord, give me every spiritual gift necessary for my time together with my friend. And yet, God might just have you sit there and listen. Let them share their story without trying to fix them. It's not your job to fix them, nor can you. You are not the Holy Spirit. That's the Lord's doing. For you, your job is to be there. Love God and love others. Right there, our purpose. Love God, love people. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 40. And I might even venture to say being available could be the most important thing, at least in the beginning of your growing relationship, especially for someone with rejection issues. So you ready for this? What are some ways to be available? Did you know you don't have to have free time to be available? Who's got free time? Nobody. Because anytime we're not doing something, we're on our phones because we're exhausted and that's where we zone out. You don't have to have time to be available. Invite someone over while you're doing laundry. Invite someone over. Ladies, invite that woman at the church or your neighbor or whoever it might be, gay or not gay. You know what? It doesn't even, I mean, it matters, but it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? People need to know they're loved. And we have agape love. There's no love like our love. And we know in, in the last days in Matthew 24, Jesus says one of the things that we're going to see in the last days, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. That love, if you look it up, it's agape. I don't know what's going on here, but in California, they passed a law that if you steal something that's $998, but not $1,000, you don't go to jail. You don't even get a ticket. Their stores are being robbed like crazy out there. Lawlessness is abounding. And I beg the Lord that my love won't grow cold because of it. We have a different kind of love. We have his love. 
So invite them over. Listen, hey, uh, my kitchen is a mess. I'm doing dishes, but maybe I won't. If you come over, maybe I won't do the dishes. I need help with laundry. My kids are driving me nuts. You want to come over and hang out? The Lord really put you on my heart. I don't even know if you would want to come into a situation like this, but I'm really, really thinking about you. Would you like to hang out? And then they get there, and you're like, oh, thank God. Do you want to rinse or wash? Hey, I'm going to Costco. I was really thinking about you and praying for you, and I was just wondering, are you free? You want to come, come to Costco with me? You have any boxes? <laughs> Guys, hey, uh, hey, bro, friend, whatever. Um, I'm getting ready to, to mow the yard, and I was just thinking about you. The Lord really put you on my heart. What are you doing? Are you busy? You're not? Well, you want to come help me with the yard work? I can mow, you can weed whack or whatever, and then we'll sit and hang some, well, it's South Carolina, and then we'll have some sweet tea <laughs> when we're done. And if the guy, it's not like, let's sit and watch the game, because he might not enjoy the game. But if he does, say, hey, we'll sit and watch the game afterwards. But, I, you know, and, and let's do yard work or whatever it might be. These are just examples. Um, and then hang out afterwards, and I, just tell me what's going on in your life. I want to know how to pray for you, but I'm not going to know how to pray for you unless you tell me, so let's hang out. You don't have free time, but you're making yourself available. Does that make sense? Awesome. Any amount of time that you spend with someone who might feel less than because of past hurts or a sense of rejection, this will bless them. This will minister to them. And then while you're together, talk about what the Lord has been showing you in your own personal devotions. You don't have to be a biblical scholar and you don't have to have the answers as to why they have same-sex attraction or why they think they were born gay. You don't have to have that knowledge. Just sit and tell them what you read recently or sit and tell them what you're struggling with or sit and tell them what God has been convicting you about or sit and tell them that you've been really kind of having short patience with your spouse or your children and then ask them if they would pray for you. That's what we were talking about in 2 Timothy, about being humble when we minister to people. Because they think that we as Christians have it all together or think that we have it all together and they need to know that we don't and that we cling to our Jesus every day. So many people that I've ministered to that, that are or were part of the church tell me over and over again they just wish someone from the church would have spent time with them. If they've come out of the old life, like identifying like I did, and they don't want to hang out with their friends that are still living in what they know now to be sin, listen to this. Many go back to the LGBT community because no one in the church is spending time with them. They don't miss the sex they miss the community. One of the biggest reasons someone goes back to living homosexually after coming to the church is loneliness. So you want to know how to minister to someone in your church with same-sex attraction? Be available and include them in your life. Trust me, it'll make a huge impact on them. And then when I first got saved, I shared my testimony with a few pastors and, and leaders in the church Listen, they didn't treat me any differently than anyone else, even with all my gender flaws and obviously different gender traits than the other women in the church. They embraced me completely 
and set an example for others to do the same in the church. I started serving pretty much right away. I was... <laughs> I started off as a greeter, and it was a pretty big church. It was like 3,000 people back then, maybe. And probably, maybe not a good idea, because I was so excited <laughs> to be saved. It wasn't, here you go. It was like, here you go. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you're here today. Hey, give me a hug. You know, so like, like there was like a flow of people going through this door and just like a line over here because I was so excited to be his. And then I started volunteering in the offices. I don't even know how to hit enter on a computer, but I was so glad to be there. And you know what I learned by being there? That when something doesn't go right, you don't throw something against the wall or you don't curse, you don't get angry. You stop, drop, and pray. You stop what you're doing, you put down anything that's in your hand, and you start to pray. And that's what I learned by being around people who had been walking with the Lord longer than me. They could have said, well, you know what? Once you look a little bit more like a girl, then we're going to let you start serving in the church. Now, they knew I had laid down my sexuality. I'd given all to the Lord. But I didn't look like really anybody else in the church. And yet, they were like, we want you here. We want you serving. So if you have someone like that in your life, don't push their sanctification. That's God's job, not yours. It actually might suffer or put a wedge in the sanctification that God is working on them in. I do remember um, someone encouraging me to grow out my hair so I tried. I'm like, all right, well, this girl knows Jesus 20 years. I better listen to her. And I tried way before the Lord even started to address my gender issues. I'm like, well, let me try to grow out my hair, which wasn't much longer than this. But maybe, maybe like your length, Laura, maybe even a little shorter. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Usually I had a very, very, very short, buzzed and spiky. So I'm like, I never owned a hairdryer. And so I got a hairdryer and like a little comb, like those little black combs that... Like 60-year-old men keep, or I'm 40, if you're, if you're keeping their back pocket. So I'm like, all right, which hand do I hold a hairdryer in? Which hand do I hold? And so I'm like, I tried it both ways, and it wasn't working, and I was getting so frustrated. And then you know what I heard in my ear? See, you're not a girl. Girls know how to do their hair. You're really a guy because somebody else tried to push my sanctification. It was a pathway for the enemy to come in and confuse me. So I whipped that hairdryer across the room. Can't remember, it probably broke. And I'm like, Phew. and you know what I did? Went and got my hair buzzed really short on the top and buzzed on the side. And I'm like, you know what? I can't. It took me a very long time to undo what the enemy spoke in my ear because someone else was trying to push my sanctification. You want them to grow their hair? Pray. If they're his, they know their shepherd's voice, and Jesus will tell them, time to grow your hair. And if not, maybe hair isn't that big of a thing. So you be available, you love, you encourage, and you speak truth. So that's with those within the church that are willing to be open and honest with us. But what do we do with our LGBT friends outside of the church? How do we love our gay neighbor or coworker? 
First and foremost, love them right where they are and love them for who they are. Because they are people created in God's image and he loves them. Understand we are not called to fix people, nor can we. People don't need to be fixed. They need to be redeemed. We are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. And how do we love our neighbor? Get to know them. It's really not rocket science. Just get to know them. Invite them over for dinner or game night with your family. Treat them the same way you do your straight neighbors. Treat them the same way that you do Michael and Melinda that aren't married but are living together. Everybody needs to know the truth of Jesus Christ and get that redemption Ask them about their life and their family, their likes and their dislikes, what movies and music they enjoy. Treat them just like you do all your other neighbors and coworkers. They are no different than any other person that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There's no separation of, of gay or straight. There's saved and unsaved. There's those who have repented and those who have not. There are those that are sitting under Adam or in Christ. And that's it. And we all just deal with the circumstances of our life, not in Christ, a different way. <laughs> Don't let the fact that they're gay intimidate you into sharing the gospel with them in a different way. The gospel is the gospel. And the gospel has power. Power. Be patient and trust that God is doing a work in their lives and in their hearts because you are praying for them. Trust that prayer is powerful. But now what do we do if they want to argue scripture, right? Because more gay people now know scripture, I think, more than ever before because they're all going online trying to defute it. Is defute a word? Dispute? Refute. Thank you. Reboot. <laughs> what happens when you lose your shoes? Reboot. Sorry. Um, sorry. But what do we do if they want to argue scripture? What if they say something like, well, you know, what does your church say? Or what does your God say? Or what does your Bible or pastor say about homosexuality? We can just respond with, you know what? That is a great question. I'm so glad you asked. But I want to ask you this first. Do you really want to know or do you just want to debate? Get them to re reveal their motives for asking. Because a lot of people in the gay community know that we're on our heels now. And for any of you that are athletes, you know, you don't do well as an athlete on your heels. You have to be on your toes. So we need to be on, on the offense without being offensive. Be on the offense without being offensive. So just get them to reveal their motives for asking. Some might really want to know and some might want to argue. So if they want to know, show them the verses that talk about same-sex behavior. And the Bible never speaks of homosexuality as a person's identity. 
Instead, it actually condemns homosexual actions, and that in and of itself distinguishes behavior from identity. Listen to this. Desires or temptations should never define someone's identity. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know what this list of things are here? Behaviors. All of these are behaviors, temptations leading into sinful actions. And so the homosexuality within this verse is a behavior, even if you don't just take it for for what it is, if you just take it of how English and words are constructed, if we used it in a different way, we could say, um, let's see, Lord, help me make an example here. Uh, Okay, so neither, um, well, let's just say, um, those who wear... I had such a good example in my brain this morning. You know what, maybe the Lord will, will bring it back later, but, but even the structure of this sentence, it's like you wouldn't use uh, something that you behave in, like those who, who run and walk and sing and dance and are Italian and spin and twirl will not fare well. Italian doesn't fit in that because Italian is the identity of who you are. The spinning and the twirling and the jumping are things that you're doing. Does that make sense? Okay, so even just structurally in the sentence, it wouldn't make sense for homosexuality to be a behavior. So if you sense that they want to argue, call them out on it. Just say, do you really want to talk or do you really want to argue? Because listen, if they were raised in the church, they know the verses that talk about homosexual sin. So it would be counterproductive to argue over those verses with them. They are very well versed on how to say things like the word homosexuality wasn't even in the earlier writings of the Bible. Or Paul wasn't talking about monogamous gay relationships. He was talking about male prostitutes. Wrong, wrong, wrong but you're never gonna talk them out of that in a conversation. You go home and pray, Lord, this is what they believe. Will you show them the error of their way? Instead, direct the conversation back to Jesus and say something like, oh, I see you know some Bible verses. That's awesome. What are your beliefs about Jesus? Who is he to you? Always bring it back to Jesus. Remember, you want to hear their heart, not explain your own. And the more they reveal about their beliefs, the deeper your questions can go. 
Then as they answer, those are the very things you take home and pray over them for. And again, trust that God hears your prayers and is moving because there's a reason this person is in your life. And it's okay to leave them hanging. Let them want to come back for more conversation. Our hearts are always receiving seeds, seeds of truth or seeds of deception. And whatever is being watered is going to grow. But if words of truth have been planted on this person's heart, and you come in and you water with a fire hose, those seeds are going to be washed away. Get your little sprinkler cup, those little flower things, whatever they're called. Watering cans. Get a watering can and water those seeds with that, not with a fire hose. If we talk too much, it might be too much for them to handle. Even today I was concerned, like, these guys are here all day. There's so much to talk about. Is this going to be too much for them? And we have the spirit of the living God in us. It might be too much for them to handle. Here a seed, there a seed. Sprinkle, sprinkle. But please, in your patience, don't ever compromise the truth just to be nice or loving to them. Their feelings and the world are deceiving them. And the fact that they're believing lies are making them more depressed and more anxious and more suicidal. You give them grace and truth because truth is love. And again, we have to trust the sovereignty of God. And that's why I have that preferred pronouns thing out there. I know it's hard to not use someone's preferred pronouns. There's two fathers in the Bible. Our father, the creator of all things, Father God, And what does John 8.44 say? Satan's a father of lies. So when you lie to please someone, which father are you sitting under? We never point someone to Jesus through deception. It's never going to work. So be available, be a good listener, be humble. Remember, you're not called to fix anyone and be willing to be someone's friend even if they never come to the knowledge of the truth. Mark 10, 17 through 22. Now as he, Jesus, was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Ding, ding, he's thinking. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to Jesus, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Okay. (laughs) Then Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus knew this man was going to walk away, and he loved him even still. Can we? 
1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. On Facebook, that's not on here. Is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So the only answer to LGBT ideology is biblical theology. Truth and love are powerful together. Amen. So do you want to have a break or go into Q&A with Pastor? You guys need a minute or? Keep on getting better. Keep on getting better. Do you guys know that song? Sorry. <laughs> Um, no, I'm just going to drink. Where's my, oh, my OCD. Where's my paper clip? Uh-oh. That's all right. I'll be fine. Deb, as soon as we get back to the house, I'm going to need a paper hey, clip. Hey, um, so we are way ahead of schedule. Praise the Lord. We have people that drove from North Carolina to be here today. We had people that drove from Georgia to be here today. So we're going to keep trucking along and we'll go into our final session, okay. which is Q and A. Sound good? Yeah. All right. Great. Um, Keep in mind when you ask a question, you're, you're asking a question, not telling a story. Right. Another microphone. But in the meantime, uh, you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, let's do it. She came first, and then you're next. Thank you. Um, this is in reference to you were talking about parenting earlier with kids. Um, as they're opening up and asking you for your input or sharing things with you, where do you find some practical tips for walking the line of hearing what they're saying and trying not to be shocked, but also when do you need to act without betraying their trust? If they reveal something to you that's dangerous or illegal, how do you do that without losing their trust? And then the second question is, is any of this recorded? Can we have access to this later? Yes. Yes. It's recorded. We, we, are, we are recording it and we will make it available later. Yes. And I don't know how, but we will. So that fine, or they will, that fine line between, okay, thank you, Lord, that my child is opening up to me, but they just told me that their best friend is identifying as such and such, and they don't want to tell their parents. Like, what do you do with that? Is that what you're saying? Maybe there's some activity going on that you're not okay with. You know, you talked about sexting and picture, naked pictures, things like that. How do you as a parent step in to protect your kid without losing the power to continue to talk to them? Okay. So, good um, question. Yes, good question, Lord. Please help us, help me answer. So I would just, first we want to um, uh, let our kids know how proud we are for them to share that with us. And so if you have a kid that's like, you know, mom, dad, I've been sexting or whatever it is, or we'll just use that as an example. Um, I really didn't even know I was going to get caught up in this. And now, now they have a picture of me that I don't want them to have. And I'm afraid they're going to share it with others. What do I do? And they're there and they, they know that they can trust you because you've paved the way for that. And then you just say, oh, honey, thank you for telling me. Oh my goodness. Please know that you, um, you might get some backlash from that for your friends, but you need to tell us when that's happening because 
we need to protect you from things that we know that are going to hurt you. And so because we want to protect you, we're going to have to see your phone and see these see the people that you've been sexting with, and we are going to actually contact their parents so that they can know too, and that as the adults and the parents that care for you guys, we're gonna protect you guys from having a time of separation. And we're gonna pray and see if the Lord allows you to continue to be friends, because it doesn't, I mean, if they're 10 years old and they don't even realize what this is doing, it doesn't mean they can never be friends again. They just need correction. And they need correction in a way that they, they don't feel embarrassed or burdened or, or crammed down from that, but that they can trust you because, again, they want to know that you're there to protect them. There's so many kids that, that feel so exposed from all the texting and the sexting, and they, they send, they're called nudes. You know, it's like, oh, I, you know, I got caught sending nudes to. And so. There's, we're still parents. There still has to be correction, like Jesus does with us. When we get convicted over something, he shows us, and then there's correction that follows. And don't we love him even more for the gentle correction that he gives us? So just ask the Lord for wisdom on how to do that, but it, it just ask him how to have that uh, encouraging word for them to be open with you and how to gently bring correction that won't make them feel shame in the process. Does coming to Jesus necessarily take away the same-sex attraction? No. Um, is there more? <laughs> uh, thank you for asking that. Um, no. I, I think there might be, and a lot of people I've talked to um, have a time of, don't we all have what we call that honeymoon phase? Well, some of us, some of us got saved and went right into a trial. I had a honeymoon phase. And I remember hearing my pastor talk about trials or friends talking about trials. I'm like, you know, because I was saved for two seconds, like, mm, what are you doing wrong that you have trials in your life? Guess you don't love the Lord as much as I do. Um, but then I realized once the Lord started showing, when I started asking him, to show me where it came from. I wasn't asking him to show me where it came from because I was still experiencing same-sex attraction. I just wanted to understand where it came from. And then when the Lord started to show me where it came from, that was so, so hard. So I wanted, I wanted comfort in that area. And the only way I could find comfort in my head was the experiences I had before. So I started thinking, man, I, I wish I could just find myself curled up in, in, in a woman's arms right now because really I did find comfort there. It was a safe place for me. I'm like, man, if I could just go get drunk or wasted, this pain would go away. But because I had grown so much and actually kind of quickly in my relationship with God because I was in his word always, I was fasting and praying once a week and I was obedient to whatever he said. And that makes us grow, you guys. Because of that, I knew when I was experiencing those desires or temptations that I could turn to him in prayer. So I ran to him for comfort in my temptation that could have led to sin instead of away from him in shame from my temptation and actually desiring to take it to a place that would be sinful. So what I would do is I would now I was living by myself and 
And, you know, the Lord was ministering to me through that pain. And I'm like, I, I just want to be with a woman right now. So I would lay flat, prostrate before the Lord, crying my eyes out, puddles of wet tears on my carpet, crying out to God and say, God, you know I want this right now. You know that within 10 minutes I could be at that bar down the street, that club down the street that I'm so familiar with, that I could go there and temporarily take away this pain. And at that, I'm used to. This is new. Lord, would you play, please make me want you more than I want that? Please, you know how. And God, you know because you know my heart. You know my, my lips are saying this, but my heart is in a different place. So don't hear the prayer of my heart. Hear the prayer of my lips. My lips are saying, keep me from doing that. My heart is saying, go, go, go. Hear the prayer of my lips, and then will you make my heart prayers and my lips prayers, lip prayers the same? And through doing that, through the years, and through understanding where all of that came from, then giving it to him in the desire to go act it out through the pain or because of the pain, and saying no to that, crying, running to him instead of from him through the years, those same-sex desires became less and less and less to a point to where they fell away. I don't look at women in that way. I don't look at men in that way. These are brothers and sisters in Christ or people that I hope eventually will be brothers or sisters in Christ. Do I have a desire to get married? I don't. But if the Lord has that for me, I know that then I'll have the desire to be married. If he wants me to be married, I don't have to be attracted to men. If he wants me to get married, I have to be attracted to one man. And that's it. I kind of got it easy. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the same-sex attractions are going to go away. For some, it does. And they go on to, to live heterosexual lives with, with a spouse and children. For some, it doesn't. But they still want to have a family so that they are in relationships with someone. And they're, let's say it's a woman. And, and they tell their the man that they're going to marry and then marry. Look, sometimes I still have same-sex attractions, but if that happens, it's not often, but if that happens, can I come to you and have you pray over me? You know, so, and then there's, there's some that, that the desire is a little bit more of a struggle, but they're willing to take up their cross and follow after him. Like that rich young ruler didn't because he had a lot to lose and he didn't want to take up his cross, but Jesus loved him still. Okay, so I have, my husband and I have five kids, 11 and under, and we have always taken the approach of being very open and having honest discussions since they were younger. Um, a question I have as we were listening earlier is, how do you handle particularly movies or um, things along that route with the LGBTQ theme in them and at what age? Because we've discussed stuff with kids but for whatever reason, like uh, you're seeing a lot more films coming out with that in it and a lot more family films. Do you avoid that with them at the younger, I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old, or do you watch it and then we still have discussions with the older, but how do you approach that with the younger? I would say with the younger, again, doing Genesis 1, 2, and 3, um, and I would stick to pure, fl pure flicks with the younger ones. How old is your oldest? 11. 11. So with the 11-year-old, you know what? Even Disney now has a lot of gay characters, but I will say 
Shrek came out or right around when I first came out. And I don't know if anybody else saw it, but I watched Shrek and I'm like, oh my gosh, those two right there, they're gay characters. And they were trying to hide it then. Now they're not even hiding it. So it's not like you can say, well, let's just watch the Disney Channel. But um, I mean, even if there isn't gay characters, there's not a lot of movies anymore that we can watch that doesn't have cursing or sexual innuendos or just like bloodbath, you know. And so um, I would actually maybe with your 11-year-old watch something called uh, the Social Dilemma. Has anybody watched The Social Dilemma? Wowzers, right? So you have to subscribe to Netflix. So get the free 30 days of Netflix, watch it, and then cancel it. <laughs> watch that with your child. Watch Childhood 2.0 with your child. And maybe go, uh, you go through uh, uh, whatever you can with the movies and find movies that are somewhat interesting and decently made. And, and, and watch those with your children. And then you know, you'll know with your child when to take it. Because even like some of the, the Hallmark movies, right? At Christmas, like the, the one lady goes back to her old hometown. And it's like they're all the same, right? But, but even in, in that, maybe start to watch some of the Hallmark movies and then say, you know what? The, these two, they're... they're um, you know, they're, they become boyfriend, girlfriend, and they're interested, and they're, they're kissing a lot and doing different things. And you know what? They're not, they're not married yet, so that can be dangerous. And then just have that discussion. You know, what do you think about love stories? You know, if it's your daughter, what do you think about, like, love stories when, when you see this? Do you think this is reality? Like, do you really think this is how relationships are? Or do you think this is a little bit of a fantasy land because it's, it's TV and just introduce them that way, but, but <laughs> I mean, it's like, it, it's this, this like fine line, right? If we, if we keep them from too much and then they get into high school or college, they're like, whoa, what have I been missing? And then they dive in head first, right? But also if you show too much, then they're going to become desensitized to it and, and think it's normal, so I would, you and your husband pray and start slow and see, like maybe with the Hallmark movie, and that's just a, the only thing I can think of offhand, and watch your children, the older children, and see how they respond to that and, and let the Lord speak to you and ask him how to, how to move from there. But even like the superhero stuff, um, like I was at my friend's house the other day and her, she has an autistic son who, who Man, they have great minds. This kid like can can say the word to to every movie he's ever watched. But they were watching one of the Star Wars movies, and it's when I don't even know the characters. But he says what the character's getting ready to say, and then the evil one, whoever the evil, I think he became Darth Vader or something like that. I don't know. He started mimicking what this guy was saying, and just this sense of creepiness fell over me as I was watching him verbatim say what this evil guy was saying and his mom caught it too and said okay it's time to turn this off you know and he was really upset by that and anybody who has as an autistic child you know that when an autistic child gets up gets upset it could be a little rough but all that to say they were watching and seeing how he was responding to that movie and we felt the sense of darkness come into the room 
And so it was like, okay, we need to turn this off. And then, then they had to handle a very upset six foot five autistic boy. But they loved him enough to be willing to go through the cray cray afterwards to protect him from mimicking something very evil through this evil character on TV. It's not easy, guys. I, I get it. I know I don't have children, and I'm up here kind of answering questions concerning children. How like our God <laughs> to do that, right? Um, so I get it as much as I can how hard it is for you guys. But for, for the whatever churches you're at, you guys come together. Get together as, as parents of, you know, certain age kids and just, just be raw and real with each other, you know. And if you're like, you know what, I just wanted to snap my son in half the other day, say it out loud to your friends so that they know to be praying for you. Or I was really p- proud of the way my child responded to such and such, you know, situation, and they can praise with you. We're a community. We're one body of Christ. We need to be raw and real and transparent, not a trans parent. (laughs) We need to be transparent because it's the better trans. And raw and real with each other because if people don't get real with us, people want real, they're going to go find it in other places, and those places won't be truth. So, earlier you had said something about, like, you know, you want to make sure that when you have this conversation, when they come out, um, that you don't blow it. Because if you blow it, they're never going to talk to you again, or they're never going to... Can I just interject for one second? Yeah. If you've blown it, they will talk to you again if you go to them and say, you know what, I blew it, I'm so sorry, can we start over? Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Praise the Lord. Amen, amen. And just be real with them and say, you know what? Yeah, I, I love you, and I'm, I'm not always going to get things right. The truth is right, but how I respond to things that I don't fully understand because I've not experienced them, I don't always know how to respond, and I, I, I'm pretty sure I did that wrong. Are you willing to give me another chance? Because I sure do miss you. Okay. I have um, two quick questions. One is, um, I totally agree, like, I have four boys, and if they want to cook or do something, you know, the world would call girly. But is there a line? My seven-year-old boy asked if we could paint his nails. You know, so we were able to kind of successfully redirect it, I guess, because mm-hmm. I was like, Ugh. <laughs> Like, so, you know, in the, in the world we live in, I don't know. You know what I mean? I'm like, I, I, I struggle with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Same thing with wanting to grow his hair long. He wants to grow his hair long. And I have family members say, that's what girls do. And I was like, don't say that. There's a lot of boys that have long hair. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything. You know what I mean? Like, so try to be careful with those things. But I didn't know with like the nail polish, if you have thoughts on that. And right. You can answer that and I can ask the next one. Okay. Thank you because my mind can only take so much. <laughs> Thank you. Um, That's a great question, and many families are experiencing this. And so with your seven-year-old, I would just say, Lord, please give me wisdom for this. I would say something like, wow, honey, where, and there's no girls, no sisters? Okay. Wow, honey, paint your nails. Whoa, that's so cool. Where did you even get an idea to do that? He'll say he wants to be a girl. He said that to us Okay. Then I would say, what... What about being, what is it about being a girl that you're drawn to or want to be the most? Just ask questions. Well, 
You know, I like that they get to paint their nails. Ah, oh, what is it that you like? The color that are you drawn to? Or, um, you know, what is it? And ask questions because there's some through the years of doing ministry, I found out that, and this is more prominent in boys, that um, some of the, the boys that became men when I was talking to them that, that might say that they were uh, transsexual in the sense that they just like to dress in women's clothing, but they don't identify as transgender. After sitting and talking with them, a lot of times I found out it was the feeling of the fabric that they really liked. And come to find out, they were actually a little bit on the spectrum of Asperger's or high-functioning autism. And texture is really important, or texture is a really, just because I don't know how to say it, important thing for them. Um, the way texture is in their mouth, and that's why they only eat certain foods. The way the texture touches, like there's sensory things that you can get to rub on their arms. So it might be, um, it might be a sensory thing for your son. So it's just working through and asking questions. And then, and then I, I would, like you said, try to redirect and, um, and ask, you know, what, ask those questions. Why honey? So when you said, why honey, do you want to paint your nails? Cause I feel like a girl. And then you can say, well, what about girls painting? What about painting your nails would make you feel more like a girl? And then eventually you can get to the point of what, what is it about being a boy that you don't want, but instead you want to be this? And then, seriously, the enemy of our souls who cannot stand us is coming heavier than ever on our children. And it could be a huge spiritual attack against you and your family and this particular child and fast and pray. I don't know that we fast and pray as, as much as we probably should, but if we're really living in the end days like we all think we are, I don't think we're really equipped enough for it. Because while I believe um, that we are going to go up before the tribulation, I believe we're gonna experience a lot more tribulation before the tribulation because Jesus said, that while we're here on the earth, we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. And so I think we need to be really prayed up with what we're experiencing, especially in our homes with our children. But I want you to go to a website called, it's on the list out there, help the number four families. And they minister to families like yours and they will have much better information for you to, to look through, to watch, and to read than what I could give you. But um, I would just gently ask your son those questions without the, the shock, or without the, don't cut your hair, right. don't grow your hair, it's, you know. But you had a second question? Yeah, well, and I will say he's experienced a lot of trauma because he came from foster care and stuff. Okay. So I do think there's a lot in his history that we don't, we'll never know, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, anyways, but I might find you after and ask you more about that. But um, and then the other one is I have a cousin who's trans, so he's a male living as a female. Now you'd never know if you met him. You mm -hmm. know, he um, has had he passes. Surgery. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, ish, you know, but yeah. Okay. Um, and he's had surgery and everything, but like in our fan, and he's in Orange County and attends a church there that um, fully embraces LGBTQ lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
believes that he's fully right with the Lord, um, but he will not talk to us in the family if we don't refer to him by his new chosen name or his pronouns, you know? Right. So is it worth severing that relationship to use, you know what I'm saying? That's I, I do. Can you believe we're having to ask these questions? But God has chosen us for such a time as this. And so what I do with pronouns is I try to make my way around the pronouns and not use pronouns, but they know that too. And, and so I often use um, they because I kind of did because I don't have that good of English anyways. So I did even before the whole he, him, she, her, they, them, zeezer pronouns. Um, you know, so like if, let's say I was in that back room and someone said, hey, where's Deb? You know, without thinking, I'd be like, oh, they're in the bathroom. You know, so I think we can get away with they, them, which doesn't even make sense in proper English. But when we, we declare someone to be a different sexual gender identity than the way God made them, I think we're, we're, we're skimming in really dangerous waters. And um, as far as the name, um, I, I mean, like, if, when, when your cousin who says he believes, is a Christian and believes in the Lord, he will stand before God someday. And God's, let's, I'm not going to have you say your cousin's name, but let's say he was born and created as John and wants to go and is identifying as gender, I mean, as Jennifer right now. When he stands before God, is God going to call him John or Jennifer? So I want to use the same name that God uses, but it could sever relationships. But also, one of the indications that Jesus, and this is so hard, and please don't hear my heart that this doesn't hurt me and break my heart. But Jesus tells us families are going to be separated in the last days. And that's really hard. And I'm sorry for anyone that's experiencing that. I really am. I'm so sorry. But you guys, we have to stand in truth. Because when it hits the fan, and it's going to, and it might really soon, and if it's not for all of us together as one that it's going to hit the fan, it's going to hit the fan for your cousin. And when it does... We can just hope and pray that he wants to go to someone who spoke truth to him instead of those people at the church he's going to that's lying to him and sending to him to a grave separated from God. I'm sorry, you guys. We have to stand in truth. Truth is what saved my life. I would still be there if it wasn't for the truth of God that once he showed me how much he loved me, I was able to receive his truth. It's hard. I get it. But it's worth it because the lives of these people are worth it. Your cousin is worth it to be truthful with him. So ask God to show you a way to still be in his life. And it might be, look, cuz, I love you and I miss you. We both are Christians. I'm getting ready to go through 1 John. Would you be willing to, can we Zoom once a week and go through 1 John together? Because we both love God. Let's, let's love them together and walk this, to, walk this walk together, and who knows what God will do. Talk about your commonalities, not your differences, and see what God will do with that. Sorry, guys. Oh, thank you. 
oh, it's used. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you. All right, next question can't make me cry. Who's next? Hi, my name's Alita. Where are you? Right here. Oh, okay. And um, first of all, I want to start off with saying that I'm thankful that God did not give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and self-control. Thank you for coming to talk to us Amen. today. And just a real quick, I have three questions, but first, can you fill in the blank for me on... Jesus. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> you, said, you said it two or three times. I don't know why I can't get it. Grace is blank. Love without truth is hypocrisy, but grace is... Br without love is brutality. Grace without love is brutality. Wait, I think it's the other way around. Okay. Truth without love is brutality. Grace without truth is hypocrisy. Actually, thank you. I'm done now. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so um, the next question that I have is um, my daughter uh, is engaged. Um, she's 22. Um, and she's engaged to a girl, and she's very defensive um, she's very hurt and rejected um, by her own father who abandoned her at six and um, then her friends in middle school and then in high school and she is afraid that of all men now of the rejection well she's at a point where she's finishing you know college and she's facing men in um, interviews and um, writing applications to rent places. And I'm trying to give her advice. And I don't, I don't know where to go um, with that, with the practical issues mm -hmm. of what mm -hmm. she's suffering with. So what, members, so you heard me talk about rejection and abandonment, and it's understandable in your situation. Um, and so uh, what I do, even when I come to a church, like it is so amazing that how God uses the most unlikely people. And I, I lived my life always with my head on a swivel, looking to see who was around and who was a potential threat Keeping, my, keeping myself safe in my clothes and my attitude with my ugh, demeanor. And now God sends me out to places where I don't know a single soul where I'm going. So what I do, because I know that it's a place the enemy can come in and cause me to be filled of, with fear instead of filled with his Holy Spirit when I'm standing up and talking in front of everyone, is I go to the church early and I meet the pastor because I've talked to them by phone or whatever, but I meet the pastor and I walk around and I always know where my exits are. And it's not just the flight attendant and me. Um, but I know where my exits are so that I can make my way of escape if I need to. Now, most likely, I'm not going to need to make my way of escape. And in reality, practically, there's no way I can make it to those doors from here on my own without having to run through the people that might be the ones that I think are going to get me. But I put myself in a position where it's just like, okay, this is what I need to do to feel that sense 
of protection. And sometimes I travel with a, um, a support person. Um, you know, and so like your daughter with these interviews or renting planes, I didn't fully understand it, but maybe just encourage her, is there any way you could ask someone to go with you if whoever is giving you an interview or they're inter you're interviewing them, if they mind you bringing someone with um, and just let her know that you understand and if the, she could contact you when she's going to be at whatever place so that you can be praying throughout that whole time and that she would know and feel that sense of protection from mama praying over her. And then when you're together, put your, if she'll let you put her, your hand on her shoulder and just say, God, thank you that you've been with her these times when she was in that situation. Thank you that there's no place we can flee from your presence. Thank you, God, that even when bad things happen to us, you're there even still, and you don't, you're weeping with us when these bad things happen. But for now, and from now on, I pray your hand of protection over my daughter um, so that she will know your presence is ever with her. Okay, and then finally, uh, she is planning a wedding, so... Mm -hmm. um, she knows where I stand, and yeah, she said all those things you said. Um, she's she's looked at the website. She's memorized it. Mm -hmm. She grew up with the Word of God. She gave her life to Jesus when she was young. So I'm still praying that Jesus is there and ministering to her. So when I get to the point where we're talking about the wedding and preparing for the wedding, should I go into it just as if? It was a man. So should I go to a gay wedding? It's the number one question I get when I go places for the Q&A. And my answer with that is I don't know. I can't go to God's word and read, thou shalt not go to a gay wedding. But I could go to God's word and know his character in that. So what I would do, especially when it's a child, um, I would come before the Lord and ask the Lord, God, I don't know what to do in this situation. I'm asking you to show me, would I, am I going to bring you more glory by going or more glory by not going? Because either way, it's going to hurt. It's really going to hurt. If you feel like the Lord is leading you to go, please hear me on this. I would not go to the ceremony because the ceremony is where you come into agreement with what is happening on the whatever platform they're at. And now you're putting your loved one above God. And again, I know how hard that is. So if he's calling you to go, you have to be a thousand percent sure that he is. I would say that go to the reception or the party or the gathering afterwards. And you have to tell your child, honey, I, I, I can't be a part of the ceremony and it breaks my heart and I know it's breaking your heart, but if you would have me, I'd love to join in the, the dinner and reception afterward, but I have to let you know this. It's gonna break my heart to be there and I might be crying and weeping instead of laughing and giggling so I want to give you the option 
to back out and say, you know what, if that's how you're going to be, I can't have you there. I want to give you the option and, and know that you still love me and that I still love you. But if you want to give me the option to say, I'm taking back my invitation, I get it. But I can't guarantee, I'm not going to be happy there. And it's your biggest day. Do you want to take that chance of me distracting what is supposed to be a beautiful day for you? Now, my opinion is um, I don't think we should go. And I get what that means. I've been in that position. And every time I've prayed, the Lord has always told me, if you go, you'll be deceiving them. And I don't want, I lived, my life was wrecked from deception. So I don't want to put someone else in a position of deception because of what my actions. And so when I've told those who I've had to tell, the Lord told me if I go, I'll be deceiving you. And I'm here, you know, I hear the response back of this girl who calls me her second mom. You know what that's like for someone who doesn't have kids? And I had to tell her no. Because the Lord told me if I went, I'd be deceiving you. And she's like, I know, I've sent people to your ministry. I know what you do. You won't be deceiving me. And I'm like, look, if God said I would be deceiving you if I went, I have to believe him. And either way, no matter what decision I make, it's a horrible decision. And it's going to affect our relationship. But if I go to the wedding when God said no, it's going to affect our relationship because of my sin my disobedience and I love you too much to affect our relationship through my disobedience so I'm going to have to take the chance that me being obedient to what God said even though it's going to be hard on our relationship I have to take the chance that there still be hope for our relationship through my honoring God through my obedience I love you and I'm sorry will you please allow me to still be a part of your life I just can't be this part It's hard, you guys. It's hard. Hello. Um, you mentioned earlier about um, demonic. How much of that, in your opinion, plays a part in this whole uh, gender identity and in your experience? Um, I believe the enemy and his demonic forces will find any crack in an open door that they can because that's what a good enemy does. They find a way in. And so I believe there's a lot of demonic forces behind that, but do I believe people who are gay are possessed with demons? Not necessarily, because some people will say that. Well, you need to cast that demon on out of you. Well, you know what? Was it a demon that was raping me when I was four years old? How about let's cast that demon out? You know, so, so we have to be mindful that these people that are identifying whatever way they are, there's a reason that they're there. And let's find out that reason, not necessarily by like, hey, what's the reason you're gay? Find out that reason, ask the Lord to reveal that reason to us. Let's just start with, Lord, will you minister to their broken part of their heart that feels a sense of rejection? And start ministering to them there. And then, you know what? The Lord might reveal that they've followed a demonic 
spirit or, or way because they're, there's demons all over. <laughs> there really is. We're, we're living in a spiritual war day after day after day. I can't remember if it was last night or today. One of the pastors was praying, Lord, we just pray that there's an army of angels standing behind Patty today because there just might be. Right? Who was it? Elijah. Elijah, one of them was like, ooh, just open their eyes and see the army of God standing around them. And they're like, what? Awesome. And so while there's that, listen, how many times do we see Michael say, oh, I was sent out for, you know, the, the, you know, the, the evil force or whatever. I can't remember what the words were. That sounds very Star Trek or Star Warsy. <laughs> Uh, here and then I was sent here. I was delayed coming over here because I was in this battle over here. There really is a battle going on. So I do believe it is profitable for us to pray that the the uh, demonic uh, force behind homosexuality and trans and all that would be crushed. Would be crushed. Yeah. Hey. Um, Thank you. Um, just listening to the way you responded when you first got saved and you were surrounded. We understand that Pastor Lloyd and, and Calvary Chapel Old Bridge is an amazing church. Do you know them? Do I know them? Oh, do you I, know Lloyd Pulley in that church? Well, only just because we're pastors and we've oh, been okay. you know, all over the... Hi. Yeah, they're everywhere, right? <laughs> but no, just... And we have some people in our church that have been part of their fellowship too. But no, I just... You were so responsive. And you were surrounded, and you had good teaching, yeah. and you responded well to that. And I was just thinking about how many of us know people that they, that is not their reaction. Even if they come, and even if they're, you know, realize the struggle, or, you know, even if they sit in church, that's not their response. And my question to you is, do you recommend, like, just praying until they're ready for something? Do you recommend, like, do we kind of move in, 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 in ways of friendship that tries to mentor that to the point, are there Bible studies we can, you know, in your resource packs, are there Bible studies that we can, like, lean into, or do you depend wholly on the Holy Spirit to open, like, the ideas of, okay, there's demonic here, there's, mm -hmm. there's rejection issues, there's, so. I um, lean more toward, toward that. The Holy Spirit. But I believe in Bible studies in the Word of God. Yeah. Are there ministries that will, um, like help us as ministry leaders. Yeah, there's there's some resources. If it's not on that paper, they're no. I think I have them all on that paper, or you can go to my website. But um, we we don't see if we if we and I get that we have like we have ministries that you know help with drug addiction and ministries that help with different things. But if we keep separating homosexuality from every other sin, then they're going to continue to feel different. And it's really washing people with the word of God. And that's what U-Turn is, is, is the word of God. So like U-Turn is a, is a drug and, and rehab ministry, fantastic ministry. Um, so if we just kind of receive people, if they're not saved yet, we receive them and invite them in the same way we would other people. Uh, like a straight couple that's not married, that's been coming to our church for three years, under the word of God, if it's, if it's a Calvary, most likely they're hearing the whole counsel of God if they stay 12 years, <laughs> whatever it takes to go through the word. Um, but they're, they're hearing the full counsel of God and they're being washed with the word. And, 
you know, at what point do we say to this couple that we know that maybe they're, even if they're not living together, but we're probably figuring they're engaged sexually, what point do we say, listen, you got to get right in this relationship or, or, you know what, we're, maybe this isn't the right church for you or, or something like that. So just like, because I'm thinking like if you see if a gay couple comes into your church or whatever and they're hearing the word of God, two things are going to happen to, let's just use gay as an example. Gay people that come into your church that haven't surrendered their life to the Lord yet. They're either going to sit under the word and start to be convicted and give their lives to the Lord and then God's timing and pace He's going to bring that healing and uh, sanctification to them. So they're either going to stay and grow at whatever speed or they're not going to like the light and they're not going to like the truth and they're not going to like the Holy Spirit and they'll leave on their own. So it's like give them a chance to get saved and grow in sanctification or just let the God, let God have them leave when God knows they can't take the truth anymore but we don't want to tell people like come we receive everyone in this church come come and meaning it come and come and come and and join us and then you know maybe that gay person might be at your church for a year or two and they're like okay well now I want you know now I want to be a greeter now I want to be the parking ministry or whatever it might be and it and then if you say well you're going to have to kind of lay down your identity before you do that. They're going to think, I just spent the last year or two here because you told me to come in and that you would receive me. And now you're telling me because I still carry this identity that I can't be here. How do we know that it's not the next Sunday that they're going to be like, oh, you know? And, and so, but as a pastor and a pastor's wife, I mean, aren't you always praying for, for the sheep God has called it into your fold and saying, Lord, show me who the wolves are? Because the numbers, because there's a lot more straight people than there is gay people, there's a lot more straight wolves in your flock than there is gay ones. And just a part B to that. Okay. Um, would you have any, as like if that person was your son or daughter, maybe you were not the pastor, um, and you, do you say, let somebody else do that mentoring because you have another place in their life or, or do you encourage a parent to try the mentoring? I don't know. I, I'm so a parent sure. mentoring their, their own child? Well, like, yeah. As, as if like trying leading them through the scripture, do you think that you should pray other people into that situation or as a parent? Both and yes, 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 yes. You pour into your child and encourage your child to get to know other people and become relationally involved with the other people in their church because we know how kids are, right? You can say something 20 times to your kids and then they come home, you know, if they're like teenagers, and then they come home and be like, guess what I learned at youth group? And then they say the same thing and you're like, hello, I've been telling you that 20 times. But they hear it different from, from someone else. So yes and both. All right. Stephanie, did you have somebody? Okay, it'll be, it'll be him and then it'll be you, ma'am. You're next. Uh, if, if I could ask two, uh, that'd be great. But my first one is, okay, thank you. Okay. Uh, my first one is as we're combating 
the 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 uh, pastors on the corner with the megaphones that are fresh markets that are screaming to people that you're going to burn and die and how do we first seek to approach them to dismantle the the narrative that they're pushing on a community that's already having their backs up or is it that's another fight in itself i don't know that they would hear you okay i don't know that they would hear you which is unfortunate. Let me give you a, a personal example of that. Did you guys understand what, what he was saying? Like, should we talk to the, the yo-yo that's on the, on the corner, just acting all crazy? So I remember in New Jersey when uh, Trenton, which is our capital, was um, uh, contemplating, I think it was civil unions. Maybe it was marriage, either civil unions or marriage. I can't remember which one. So we took some people from our church to Trenton to pray. And there was a woman there holding up one of those signs. It was one of those God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve signs. And just the Lord put it on my heart to go up and talk to her. And I don't don't want to. Lord, I don't want to. I don't want to. He's like, go talk to her. I don't want to. It's like, okay. I'll go talk to her. And of course, the news that was there, were they, were they putting their cameras on the people that were praying or putting their arm around somebody who had the rainbow flag draped over their shoulder because there were people like that there? Nope. The news media had their camera right on that lady with that sign and said, this is what the representation of Christianity is. So the Lord had me go up and talk to her. And I'm just briefly like, I'm just like, hey, how you doing? Uh, my name is Patty. And so I'm like, oh, she might think I'm gay. So let me just say, I'm like, hey, I'm Patty. I've been walking with the Lord for 10 years. And she's like, oh, well, I have been for 30. I'm like, oh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, that's great. I'm like, hey, I just want to let you know, I used to identify as gay, and I remember when I saw signs like the one that you're pointing up, it would actually push me away from God and not push me toward him. And I know that you want these people here that are identifying as gay, I know you want them to be turned to the Lord. So, And plus, the news cameras are on you. So do you think maybe you could take that sign down? And you know what she did? She looked at me and went, oh. And put it up even higher. So I don't know that that would work. But you know what you could do if you're on that corner in the, in the vicinity of that person? Pray for them. Hmm. No, seriously, pray for them. <laughs> Lord, smite them and knock their teeth out. No, 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 I'm just kidding. <laughs> David says that in the Psalms. I shouldn't say that. Um, but I would stand in the area and look at the people that might be bothered by what that person is saying and just be like, hey, I just want to tell you something. I'm a Christian, and I don't like what that guy's saying either. I'm so sorry. Can you tell me what about what he's saying bothers you the most? And just maybe engage with that person. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And then my other question is, I've really felt moved towards this type of ministry, and I can tell this is where God's been leading me in the sense of the amount that the enemy is attacking me, of pushing me away. Is there a way to serve this ministry on more of a level or 
get more learning in it or how how can I take a further step towards this sort of thing other than just are you from this church or visiting church? Uh, I'm church on the road. What? Sorry, church on the road. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so you mean maybe possibly starting a ministry at that church? Is that what you're saying? However, I, I just feel this calling. I okay. don't know what to do now. Coming here was my next step. Okay, praise the Lord and... and Lord, please minister to this man and use him mightily for whatever you're calling to him. But when the Lord called me to do this ministry in the sense that it is now, because um, I was doing out of Egypt ministries before, but it was more of a counseling parents and stuff like that, and even counseling people that were willing to come and say, I have that same-sex attraction, I don't want it anymore. But 99.9, um, .9, so all the people, let's just say I talked to 100 people, 99 of them, um, when we were talking and ministering to them, had experienced sexual abuse. And it was in the midst of me going through the healing of mine. And when I realized that, I, and I didn't say this out loud to them, but when they were like, you know, I don't know what to do. And my mind is like, well, I have a baseball bat. Let's roll. I'm like, mm, probably should step down from ministry for a while because I'm thinking that's not the right thought. And again, I never, I never said it, but I knew that I had to step down and allow the Lord to minister to me and, and heal me. So it was like six or seven years later that the Lord started uh, stirring in my heart out of Egypt ministries, out of Egypt ministries. And I kept thinking, now I know the Lord's calling me to full-time ministry, but I think it's supposed to be disaster relief because, you know, I get to put on a tool belt and that makes me feel pretty good. Um, but then the Lord was like, I was driving down to Christine Laura's house down the shore and listening to a message, and the Lord just clearly said, oh, this killed me. You're pretending you haven't heard my voice. I was like, oh. So I just came back home, and I just, I knew what he meant. I knew he was calling me to Out of Egypt Ministries. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm strong enough to now to counsel people who've gone through sexual abuse. But I didn't know what he was calling me to. So I prayed for three months, every single day, a few times a day, Lord, what's the first step? Three months. What's the first step? And then I was at uh, the East Coast Pastors Waves Conference. I don't know what year it was, but the Lord's like, stand. And I stood and asked for prayer and said, the Lord's calling me to this ministry. I'm scared to death. I have no idea what to do. Would you guys pray for me? And, and the ladies, what, three, 500 women, whatever it was, prayed. People were lining up, wanting to talk to me. And I got home. I'm like, Lord. What was that? So like, that was the first step. And I've never contacted a church to say, hey, this is what I do. It's been nonstop since whatever year, whatever it was. Uh, it's been nonstop churches contacting me since then. So that's how I know it's him and not me. So I would just suggest, Lord, what's the first step? I feel like you're calling me to this, but I have no idea what I'm doing. Because I still say that. I still remind him. Let's not forget, I don't know what I'm doing. If you want me to go work at Walmart, I'm okay. <laughs> Minimum wage is $15 now. I think I can survive. Anyways, but um, I would just pray and ask him what the first step, and I'm, I'm confident he will show you what the first step is. Yeah. And thank you for having a heart to want to do ministry and, and to be willing to lay your life down to serve others. So my question is, because I work primarily with teenagers, mm -hmm. and right now they are really struggling, yeah. so can you explain to me 
um, sexual identity and gender. Because you started to talk about that earlier. Right. And you said, oh, this is too much. So I just want to be sure that I understand it so I can work with my kids. Amen. Amen. Let me just answer this text. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you got to update Facebook. <laughs> um, I'm trying to pull up. Okay. So here, it, I know you guys can't see it, but it's, it's remember the gingerbread man yeah. right at Christmas? Well, now, because they want to have something that the kids can identify with, elementary schools are introducing the genderbred person. Can you guys see that enough, the little yellow thing? So this is what they're telling kids gender is. So they're saying, um, here they have gender identity, gender expression, biological sex, and sexual orientation. So they say identity is in your brain, so what you think, and I'll, I'll give this to you so you can take a picture of this, okay? Orientation is what's in your heart. Sex is how your body declares. Expression is what you do with all of that. So, um, so they say gender identity is how you, in your head, think about yourself. It's the chemistry that composes you and how you interpret that is what gender means. Um, you know, gender expression is how you, on the outside, declare yourself from what your brain thinks. And uh, sexual orientation is who you are physically, spiritually, and emotionally attracted to based on their sex or gender in relation to your own. So your sexual orientation is who you're attracted to, and your gender orientation is how you biologically identify. But this, this will help, this little thing, so when you can, come and take a picture of my picture. Uh, the genderbred person. They also have a gen, uh, unicorn that they use. Do you have something? Oh, genderbread.org. And they're also using a, a unicorn because kids are into really into unicorns, anime, and furries now. There's actually a school, I can't remember what state it is, probably California or Oregon, um, where a teacher was found out that she was putting cat litter in the girls' room because she had a girl that identified as a cat, as a furry. Her furry identity was that of a cat. So because this teacher wanted her to be able, this student to be able to express her identity, the teacher put cat litter in the girls' room. Mm -hmm. So again, tell me this is not a spiritual battle from the pit of hell. But we can't lose hope in that. We have to put dot, dot, dot in all caps, but God. But God. But God. I had a question. Okay. So how would you um, start, in my family, it's um, in, in my culture, uh, it's, you don't talk about that. You don't mm -hmm. talk about being gay, you don't talk about being lesbian, nothing. So how would you, I have a nephew who I know, um, he hasn't said to me, but he's expressed certain things and mm -hmm. I know, you know, just off of that, like, that he identifies some other way than male. How would you bring that topic up with the family? Because even his own parents don't want to talk about it. So would you be outing him? 
I don't want to do that. Yeah, you don't ever no, want to out no, someone no. as an adult. Like the the whole children thing, whoever asked that question, mm -hmm. yeah, you really have to pray because we're called to protect our children. Yes. But as an adult, you don't really, it's not your place to out No, someone. no, I don't want yeah. to do Because we're really close, too. Yeah. So he comes to me when, when he's mad at his mom, when he's mad at his dad, mm -hmm. when he's um, upset about something, he's always at my house. So. so his parents know he's identifying or maybe they suspect? They suspect. Was it gender or sexuality? I can't remember uh, what you said. Sexuality. Sexuality. So I, you need to be that safe place for him. Mm -hmm. And say, how old is he? He's he's a, he's eight, he he's eighteen. Eighteen, so kind of a kid still. Yeah. I would say, listen, are do you have a game plan for? Is he out to you? No, no. Okay. But he's expressed certain things, like he's trying to say something, but he doesn't. Okay, so then I would say, I kind of feel like you're trying to express something to me, mm -hmm. but you don't know how, or you're nervous to. Am I? on the right track with that or am I a little off with that okay. and see where he goes if he's like no 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 I'm good then you know he's not ready okay. to talk to you okay. about it but if he's like yeah I have to tell you something and then you can just say whatever you tell me I want you to know that I love you mm. for who you are right where you are and I love you in Christ Jesus I love you because you're family and I love you because I know how to love now because mm -hmm. God loves me in such a powerful way that I know how to love through all things and then if he expresses that to you, then say, am I the first person in the family that you've told? Okay. And then let's just, we're going to go on with a scenario, okay? And then be like, yeah, it's like, wow, I am so honored mm -hmm. that you trust me enough to be the first person. Now, you know I'm going to pray, right? Mm -hmm. Lord, I pray that you would just minister to mm -hmm. my cousin and um, pray and let him know that, that you love him and that you're always by his side. Amen, or something to that effect. The Lord will lead you in that prayer. And then you can say, do you plan on telling your parents? Mm -hmm. um, and if you do, if it's planned out, would you let me know? Because I want to be praying when you tell them. Because while you're going to feel freedom from that, they're going to be overwhelmed. And I want to pray for, for all of you. Because mm -hmm. it's going to be hard on everyone. And you're going to need, you're going to need prayer and they're going to need prayer. And then when it and then say can when it's all said and done can you can you let me know how it went and then you can say well they went they went crazy on me and then you could say I'm so sorry you had to experience that do you understand maybe why they did you were probably protecting yourself from saying it because you, you thought this was going to happen huh well honey I just want to let you know I'm here for you you know I'm do they know you're a Christian. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you know I'm a Christian, so I'm going to be praying for you. Mm -hmm. And I pray that the Lord would show you who you are in him. And that when he shows you, you receive it. Yep. And just leave it at that. Okay. Be so, that safe place. I know maybe one of the reasons he hasn't said anything or hasn't, maybe he's struggling with that, um, is because there's been, de de um, you know, where derogatory remarks where there's like, oh, that's gay or that's mm -hmm. bad. And, oh, we hate those people. And I know there's certain yeah. things, you know coming from his household, maybe from other family members, you know, um, how would I address that with the family? Like if they do say something like to kind of maybe him see me as I can maybe trust her more, you know, because I you have big family. We have big family. No, like gatherings. Yes. Yeah. So I would be like, as you're all together and it gets quiet, do you guys, are they all saved? Like, do you pray over a meal? Um, or? Maybe a third of us. 
Is there ever a time when you're all together and it's quiet for a moment? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I would just say, you know what, guys? I'm standing up because I feel like the Lord's leading me in this. I just want to let you know that we are a family. We stick together in and through all things. We do not make fun of each other. We're there for each other. We might disagree on certain things and agree on other things, but we are a family, and we are to love one another. And then I would read... 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, because it's also going to say what love is, but it's also going to say love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, and then say there's iniquity all up inside this room because we're here, mm -hmm. but there should also be love, and, and we love each other to, to, to encourage each other. We should all be pointing each other to Jesus because he's real, and for those of you who don't understand he's real, I just want you to know I'm praying for you, yeah. and... Um, and we have to be willing to love in the midst of differences. And, and, and then he might personally think, oh, she's talking about me and she's standing up for me. She's a safe place for me. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to be the one that brings truth. Yeah. But when you have that foundation of trust and, and love mm -hmm. with grace, then, it's, then that's the foundation for the truth to be built on. Okay. Thank you. Stephanie, can I get a water from over there? Thank you. It's me again. Hi. Hi. Um, this question is really more general in my pursuit for um, the truth and how to handle the truth with my daughter. I've talked to several young women who are, um, are lesbians, and every one of them have all said the same thing in one way or another. They've had daddy issues. Mm-hmm. So, my question is, um, how as a church um, should we start to form a way to, um, a, to battle against that? Um, is it supposed to be our deacons? Um, are these girls considered the orphans of the widows? I mean, where are we going with this? And how do we attack this issue? Because I think it's bigger than just mm -hmm. lesbian. Um, men, you are such an important part of your family and the church. Like the important part. God has called you to be the authority over your family. And he's called the men to be the authority in the church and with that comes responsibility but when you can find a man with authority and tenderness oh what a beautiful thing that is and so in the church men if if you can can be that safe place for young women that are single uh uh you know whatever age this woman is uh, single or married, not that you want to minister to a married woman, but if her husband is with you or your wife is with you, when you're talking to her, if she comes up front or serve her. If you're at a function or you have dinner here once a month, I was told, so we'll use this church as an example, you be the one to come up and say, hey, sister, can I clean your plate for you? Let me clear that off for you. I want you to be able to have time. There's a lot of women that have never had a man lift a finger to help them in anything. And that causes bitterness to grow in the heart. And then Satan comes in and like, oh, bitterness seed. Let me water that. 
Um, so please, men of the church, we want your strength, but your strength needs to come with tenderness. Lita, and I'd also, I'd also say, um, talk to your pastor. Talk to your elders. Talk to your pastor. You know, um, with us doing it here at Calvary Chapel, me being the senior pastor, you know, I saw the need in our body. I talked to pastors in the area. And um, a lot of pastors are trying to figure this out, too. You know, and so, like, me here at church, I'm, okay, we got to do something. So talk to your pastor. Talk to your elders. And, um, and maybe, hey, tell them, hey, I went to this conference and. Patty Height out of Egypt Ministries, and she said this, this, and this, and, you know, plant some seeds, and, and maybe that ministry will get started with talking with your leaders. And just on a practical note, men, when you're talking to a woman in the church, if there's not a lot of other people around, talk to them in an open space, not like in a corner, um, or in a room by yourself, or whatever it might be, because if there's been any type of pain there, they're not hearing a word you're saying. They're just trying to find their quickest way out of that situation. We don't talk about abuse enough in the church. You know what we actually do in the church? We wrongly use this verse. Forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to those things which are ahead, Paul wasn't talking about his pain. He was talking about his accolades. We have to look back sometimes to be able to move forward. Isn't that what we do with the Old Testament? Isn't that what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says? Looking back at those, those prophets that were before us, we use them as an example of how to move forward. Will we do that in our life as well? We don't dwell where we were, but we take a look back and say, oh, that was painful. And Oh, look how that affected me. Okay, there it is. Now we're going to move forward. And the more we have, like Pastor David said, things like this, the more we're going to be equipped to move forward. And it's not just women that are being abused. There's a lot of men hiding in their heart their abuse. We have to be willing to talk about these things so that the healing can come. And with that, we have strength, man. We have so much strength when we're fully, just fully equipped by God without carrying our burdens with us. So, you know, maybe pray and, and see how you can be a safe place for men and women, men with men, when it's abuse, women with women, um, be in that safe place for people to say what they've experienced and pray with them. Um, thank you for coming. You're an answer to prayer. Back here. Okay. Um, you've just been an answer to prayer to me because this has been on my heart a lot. So um, I have two questions. Um, the first one is about you had said that um, – that gender and sexual identity are not separated, like the gender bread would teach, because um, I've done some like trainings and stuff, and they have showed that, so mm -hmm. I'm familiar with that. Um, can you explain that a little bit more, um, that there's not a disconnect, that they're... Explain it how, like the false um, narrative that they're giving, your or... View, your view on that, like that sexual identity and gender are connected, they're not two separate pieces. Yes, well, it is... Um kind of we could look at Genesis chapter um, 1 verse 27 where it says and it's we make things so 
difficult when it's really like God makes it simple for us. So here's gender. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Next verse. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the, you know, the fish and the birds and everything that moves. But God created them male and female for a specific purpose to be fruitful and multiply. And we've made it so crazy. The simplicity of it is in God's word. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and, and 28. And we have to trust that the word of God is powerful. And if we're sharing that with someone, we're giving them truth. And then when we talk about it and leave that situation, you just pray that the Lord would use his word in a way that would really impact their heart. They're either going to receive it or they're not just like the rich young ruler. They're either going to receive it or not. We just bring his truth, and his truth in his word is powerful enough as it is. So Genesis 1, 27 and 28 is gender and sex mixed together with one thought. It is the same. A man and a woman come together sexually, as God calls it, to be fruitful and multiply, to create people in his image which brings him glory. We were created for his glory. We were created to worship him. And that's where we find our most, most joy. Amen? Yes, ma'am. Well, um, you... you yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just want it uh, recorded so the folks that will listen to this later can hear what was being said. Okay, is that, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I'll just start over. So um, I, I work at a school. I'm a counselor. Um, and so um, I've seen in other counselors' offices, offices they have a, um, the picture of the rainbow flag, and it's a safe zone on it, um, indicating that it's a safe place for it's okay for them to talk about it, and they're not going to be judged for it, you know. And I've kind of wrestled with that in my own counseling. Like, should I have something like that, a symbol that... Because I, I want kids to be able to come and talk about it and be open about it. Um, but I also don't want to give the... I feel like um, that symbol also gives the message of condoning and um, affirming that and celebrating. And I don't really want to celebrate that because I do believe that it's sin and it's wrong. Um, but I want kids to be able to come and talk about it if they're struggling with it. So what are your thoughts about that? Well, the flag in that counselor's office, if it's a pride flag, is six colors. The real rainbow is seven colors. And so if you want to put a rainbow in your room, put a seven-color rainbow and put promise under it. And then invite them in there. And, and then you can maybe, as if the Lord would direct, you can be like, 
I don't know, I'm trying to make up scenarios. Q&A is interesting that way, was trying to make up scenarios with the Q&A. Um, but you can even say something to, you know what, this is a promise I believe in. If, are you allowed to say anything about God? Are you in a public school? Okay, okay. I would just put, find a nice, pretty, you can find anything online, nice, pretty, seven-color rainbow, put the word promise under it, and just see if, you know, if, if God gives you any more words to say, like safe place or whatever the other ones have, but I would word something differently than what they do, and see who God draws in, and ask God to bring who he wants into your room, because the ones that, he, as you pray, that he draws into your room, he knows they're ready to hear something that you have to say because he's sovereign over all things. Amen. We'll do like two more questions, Pastor David. Okay. 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 Um, I just want to make I just want to say something that there is a lot of uh, counseling and it is um, all it's a, a trouble counseling what's your problem talk about your problem talk about your problem over and over every week problem problem mm -hmm. we need Christ-centered counseling yes and as you say it's through the Word of God really that you this is it the Word of God talk about it move on you know what I mean I mean so that's what I wanted to say. There's just so many and so much counseling that is not worth anything. Yes, there's ungodly counseling and there's even Christian counseling that uh, maybe uh, could be directed more in a biblical way because not everybody that calls themselves as a Christian counselor is a Christian in the way we understand Christianity. But I will say, when you have had severe trauma... I've gone through counseling, and so uh, Deb knows, we just talked about it the other day, when I first got saved, I read all kinds of stuff before I got saved. When I got saved, for the first easily six years of being saved, I read nothing but the Bible. No streams in the desert, no my utmost for his highest, no commentaries, no devotionals, nothing, just the word of God. The Lord blessed me to understand the word of God because I don't understand much else. But the word of God, he's given me a blessing in. I served him abundantly. I read his word all the time. I did all kinds of stuff. And then I went to, because as the Lord was stirring up these memories of abuse, I, I had friends that I talked to, but I also went in and talked to our Christian counselor or our biblical counselor in our church, and there was some help there. And then when, um, when my, the most difficult relationship that I had with one of my sexual abusers, when they died, I was just, I was a mess. Nothing was resolved, it wasn't talked about. I didn't get the, I didn't get what I needed. I kept hoping that something would happen before this death came, and it didn't, and it sent me in a tailspin. And so I went, and I talked to this biblical counselor at our church, like, I, I need help. 
And he's like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know anyone that reads more, serves more, does more. I, I would, I, I'll tell you, why don't you just go for a weekend away and sit with the Lord? And I'm like, I live by myself. I don't need to go away for a weekend to sit with the Lord. And then another friend of mine, her daughter was going to a Christian college in Pennsylvania, PBU. It's called Karen now. She was at a conference in Houston and got introduced to the dean of counseling at was PBU at the time. And she's like, the Lord just told her, you need to introduce Patty to this man. So I went for about six months to this professor, professor of counseling at a Christian university. And his specialty was childhood sexual trauma. And we went through a book by Dan Allender called The Wounded Heart. Very good book, but very hard to go through. But what I needed was to understand what happened to me physically and phys physiologically or whatever when I was abused. So he got on his little whiteboard and he drew a picture of the brain. And he said, when, when we receive things, typically without abuse, whether it's you know sorrow or pain or joy or excitement, it comes through the brain and it hits this part of the brain and then it travels and it goes over here and it settles here. He's like, but when you have aggressive trauma, especially sexual trauma as a child, it goes to here and to here and then it stays here and it doesn't make it up to this place here. And I can't tell you how relieving and comforting it was to me to realize that I wasn't just not strong enough in the Lord to figure out why my brain was being so affected by this still, but there was literally something physically that happened to my brain that kept it going to where typically a thought goes. So it was really, help. it released me to understand that there's actually something that really happened to my body because of that abuse. And so, um, I, I, if, I mean, I was fortunate that this guy was, was a very good and honest and biblical, because we always talked about the Bible while we were there, but we also went through that book, The Wounded Heart, by Dan Allender, and it was very, very helpful for me. There's another book called The Path to Sexual Healing by Linda Cochran, which is also a very good book. It's all scripture, but it brings you into an understanding in the presence of a Lord that, that just makes it safe for you to get it out and talk about how the effects of abuse so that you can lay it at the Lord's feet and be released of it. But yes, there are a lot of counselors that, that don't necessarily bring people to that place, but there are some good Christian counselors out there. Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. um, I kind of think that you just touched on what I was going to ask. Um, the question was, or is, uh, is the why of the equation important? Is the what? The why, if you know what I mean by that. Well, why did this happen to me versus what's happening to me? Um, Does that make sense? A little bit. The why is because we're living in a fallen world surrounded by sinners. And uh, generally, people who've been hurt by people, generally people who hurt people have been hurt by people. So like people who've been, um, people who sexually abuse people, 
most of the time have been sexually abused. Now, that doesn't mean everyone who's been sexually abused is going to go abuse somebody else. But those who do abuse people have been sexually abused as well. That's probably the why, along with we are, are just sinful, like we live in a very dark place. That's why I love First Peter chapter 1 that says we're eventually, because Jesus is our living hope, that we're going to a place that's incorruptible and undefiled. I cannot wait for that. I can't wait to get rid of my own sin. I'm tired of carrying around and being like, oh, getting convicted again. It's like, oh, man, all right, Lord, sorry. I'm thankful for that conviction and that forgiveness, but I'm tired of carrying around this body of sin and corruption with me. But the what, understanding the why and the what together um, are helpful. Like I did understand that generally a predator who abuses somebody sexually, there's a high percentage of them that have done that to probably anywhere between 100 and 200 other people. Uh-huh. One out of every three women have been uh, molested or raped. One out of three women. One out of three women have had abortions. That's also something that we need to talk about in the church. It's great that we have days that we talk about the, the pro-life day or whatever, but we also need to remind the women sitting in these seats out here that there's forgiveness and hope and help and that they don't have to carry that shame. And we can let them know that their baby has a name because, because um, the Lord told Jeremiah, even before I formed you, I knew you. And it also says in the Bible, I have called you by your name. Our babies have names, whether they are miscarried or we have walked into that abortion clinic and put on that paper gown with all the other women sitting next to us. Those babies have name and they're ready in heaven for our embrace because we will get to embrace those babies when we go to heaven. And so these are things that we need to talk about in the church because this is real life. This is what's happening to the people that we're sitting next to. But the abuse, um, we have to understand that that's, that's really deep. It's a, it can be a soul killer in the sense of our soul is where our emotions are, but God brings that back to life as, as well. So again, thank you, Pastor David, for allowing us to have these conversations in your church and inviting the churches in the area to come. And for those of you that are from other churches, thank you. Thank you for coming out today. It is a big deal. You know what it's like to be someone who thought Christians hated me? And then to be in, in a ministry where God calls me to go out and minister to to the Christians, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. God is so radical, isn't he? But it is my pleasure to be here and, and minister to you. So, so thank you. Amen. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. All right, good deal. Hey, Patty, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming out and ministering to us today and talking about this very uh, sensitive subject. Uh, have y'all have been blessed? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, Patty has a table out there in the foyer, and I just want to remind you, she did not ask me to do this. Um, this is just the pastor of the church, you know. I know how ministries operate. 
She left her full-time job to do this as a ministry. She travels around the country doing this at churches. She's leaving here. She's going to Calvary Chapel Aiken. Then she's leaving Calvary Chapel Aiken. She's going to a church in North Carolina. So if you would like to bless her financially, uh, she has an offering box out there in the foyer, or you can write a check to Calvary Chapel, put her name in the remarks column, and we'll make sure she gets those. But we want to bless her financially. We want this ministry to continue as she travels around the country. So, um, yes. Yes. So thank you very much. God bless you.